Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This is what the Lord says, don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the riches boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love. What's he saying to us here? This has been the foundational scripture for this series. He's saying if you're gonna make, if you're gonna set a goal for your life, if you're gonna get to the place where you wanna get someplace where you can brag about your accomplishment, then he said to boast on this, that you truly know me, says the Lord. And we've been finding out for the past few weeks that we've got to uh, get rid of the junk that's been that's been uh, deposited in our minds from the times that we were children, this humanistic philosophy about who God is. Imagine the society that doesn't know God trying to tell us who God is. And so we found out that if we're going to find out scripturally accurate about God, we're going to have to go to the Word of God. And so we found out so far in these past few weeks that God bursts on the scene here in Moses' life and introduces himself as a rescuer. He said, I've, I've heard the cries of my people. I've seen the misery that they're going through. And I'm concerned that I've come down to rescue them. And so we see in this series, the very first uh, introduction of God on the scene is that of a rescuer, of a deliverer. Later on, he, he dictates to Moses what you and I call the book of Genesis. And in the very first verse of the very first chapter, God reveals himself as creator. As it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we see now God identified as a creator. By the end of that chapter, and especially in chapter 2, we see him introduced as a provider, as he created an atmosphere for Adam and Eve to thrive in. and gave them everything they needed that was going to be necessary for life. And so we see him identified as rescuer. He reveals himself as creator. He reveals himself as provider. And then in Exodus chapter 15, we saw that he revealed himself as the healer. For I am the God that heals you. And we've been talking about the motivation of what, of the bottom, mo, bottom line motivation of why God does things is because he is love. And everything that he does is from that standpoint, that viewpoint. Love always provides for someone else. Love always wants to make things better for another person. Amen? Amen. David received revelation of God as healer. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We're guilty of that so many times. We forget the promises that God has made to us. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. Amen. Who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. I like verse 5 especially in this season of life. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And if you're over 40 years old, say amen. amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Thank you, Father, for that promise. Between that and Psalm 91, we're good. So David received this revelation that we're to constantly remember his goodness and constantly remember the fact that not only does he forgive our sins, but he heals our diseases. In fact, he goes on to say all of them, all of them. So my question to you this morning is this, to consider, are you dealing with some kind of sickness and disease? Because the same God who forgives also heals. Are you dealing with something that's trying to come against you to destroy you? Because the same God who forgives redeems. 
Have you missed an opportunity in life? And don't become one of those people that sit around the rest of their lives and tell you all the deals that they missed and all the promotions that, uh, that bypassed them and all the things that could have happened. Okay, we do miss opportunities at times, but don't get overwhelmed with them. Don't become one of those bitter-hearted individuals that sit in a rocking chair and tell everybody why their life can't work. Because the same God who forgives also renews, and thank God that he is a restorer. Amen? Amen. Again, we're still talking about God revealing himself as healer. Now, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, saw Jesus, the Messiah, he didn't know it was him. He didn't know particularly who it was, but he's seeing an individual. And Isaiah lived and, and, and wrote his prophecies down about 700 years before Jesus shows up on the earth. And he sees this person in the future. And he describes him in the beginning of that chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah. He says there's nothing special about this man. He's a very plain person. Uh, you wouldn't be able to pick him out of a crowd. There's nothing that would cause him to stand out. He said, but however, this one is going to carry our griefs. He's going to carry our sorrows. The punishment that's going to bring us peace was placed upon him. He saw how Jesus was treated. God gave him a glimpse of the future and allowed him to see that when this Messiah comes, he wasn't just gonna come marching in and riding in on this white horse to try to just uh, gain independence for the nation of Israel. That first he would come to deal with, this, to deal with sin. Amen. And so he saw afar off this person being brutalized and wounded and beaten and mutilated. And he understood and realized by revelation of the Holy Spirit that it was because of our sin being put upon him that we gained our freedom. Let me read it to you. Verse four, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now if you go read that in original language in Hebrew, it's talking about physical pains and physical diseases. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. In other words, if we were there that day when Jesus was on that cross, it, it, it brutal, as brutally as he had been treated and as as horrible as the sight was, people would have to have said to themselves, what did this man do that God treated him this way? Yet he goes on to say that he realized it wasn't because of what God did to him, it was because of our sin. Verse five tells us, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Now iniquity means our tendency towards sin. The chastisement, or we would say it this way, the punishment for our peace was upon him. And then he recognized this man is being brutalized. This man's back is being torn open. This man's head is being pierced. This man's hands and feet and side are being pierced, not because of what he's done, but because of us. And by his wounds, we are healed. Andrew Omak who I consider to be one of the top Bible scholars of our times right now, had this to say about this subject. Jesus provided physical healing as well as forgiveness of sins. Healing is an expression of God's love and compassion for our physical man. In other words, that physical part of our being. God wasn't just concerned just with our spirit. God's not concerned just with our soul. God is concerned also with this body. And so he's made provision for that. The Lord would no more refuse to heal us than he would refuse to forgive us. Remember Psalm 103, connected forgiveness of sins and healing. That does not mean that we deserve healing. We don't. It is a gift from God, just as salvation is a gift from God. 
Healing belongs to us, but it is still the mercy of God that provides healing. Every act of healing is God's mercy. Amen? Now, we see that God revealed himself as rescuer. He revealed himself as creator. He revealed himself as provider. He revealed himself as healer. But what about the time when the healing doesn't come quickly? What about the times when it seems like, Lord, it's been months and it's been years and it's been, and so many people have turned away from God because it didn't come that quickly and so many people have become angry against God because it didn't turn out the way they thought it should turn out. What do we do then? Do we just slip off the scene? Do we just forget about God? Do we just say he's not faithful? No, we've got promises for that too because the same God that revealed himself in all those ways that we've been talking about also reveals himself as our sustainer. Psalm 41, verse one, blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in time of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desire of their foes. Everybody said, thank God. Verse three, look at this. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. Man, thank God for that promise. It doesn't just leave us there to languish and suffer. He'll sustain us. He'll give us the grace. He'll give us the strength we need until we see that final manifestation. Psalm 54, verse four. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Listen, remember that there are just gonna be times when we can't figure everything out and we just have to throw ourselves in the mercy of God and allow him to carry us. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there multiple times in life. You just don't know why did this turn out the way it did. It didn't look like it was going this way. Then all of a sudden, bam. What do we do then? Well, obviously, the Apostle Peter had some experience in this area. He wrote for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in his first letter in chapter five. But I want to read you this from the Amplified Version. Casting all of your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him, for he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. That brings me comfort. To know that he is my sustainer. To know that he is my help in time of trouble. To know that when it looks like everything is helpless and hopeless, I can still turn to him. I might not know why. I might not know when. But we know who. He sustains us. When I read this scripture, I, I've trained myself throughout the years to let the Bible speak to me in pictures. The original language is very much made up that way. Hebrew is definitely a language of pictures. Greek, definitely a language of pictures. I remember when I first came across this scripture and began to study it and realize the mechanics of it, and it is, is very much a mechanical scripture. There's, there's, you have to literally do something with it. I thought about my son Mark. Our son Mark is the gentleman who plays the guitar here, big beard. When he was a little kid, he had such a, a, such a knack for sports. It was like, where did this kid come from? I don't know the difference between a touchdown and, and, and a home run. I, I don't, yeah, I've never been raised in that culture and it's never, it never come easy to me. And, and frankly, I was never really interested. Yet my sons are, 
athletes. It's just like, how does that happen? And, and Mark especially, and it's just a joke around our family. We talk about, like, Mark, everything Mark puts his hands to prospers, whether it's sports, whether it's music. He's brilliant when it comes to arranging the music here and things of this nature. It just comes out. But when Mark was elementary school age, middle school age, every coach in the school wanted this kid on his, on their, on his team, on their team. Because Mark had this knack for shooting three-pointers in basketball like I've never seen before. And it came so natural to him. He just, you know, very unassuming, just, you know, Mark, would you, you know, come on, and, and just unassuming, come on, grab the ball, start dribbling the ball, and set it up, and we set it up real determined, and boom, three-pointer. So how does this, I, I would sit in the stands. The parents, when this, he did, I remember one particular game that he saved the game at the last minute, and all the parents looked at me. I'm like, I, I don't have nothing to do with this. I, I don't even know how to dribble the ball. I would say, trust me, that's the grace of God that you're seeing in action there. But that's the picture that Peter is painting. That word cast, when he says casting all your cares on him, that word cast literally means put this thing together compactly and take aim to make sure that it lands right into the lap of God the Father. And don't ask him to dribble back to you once he's got it because you need to leave it at his feet. You need to give it over to him. And there's some of us that don't know how to give over things. And so when the anxiety, when the stress, when the pressure is too much to handle, oh God, God, you please take this. And then when we get some refresh, oh, you know what, God, I can take that back now. Peter's saying, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. Why? For he cares for you. How? Affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Man, I don't know about you, but that lets me breathe easy. Because I don't know if you've gone through some things in your life but we don't have all the answers. And there are some things that come across us in life that just baffle us. And we're not equipped to handle. And at that point, you and I have got to have the presence of mind and the trust enough in our Lord to say, Father, I, I don't know what's going on here. I can't, I don't even have the energy to try to figure this out. All I know is I can't do this. So Lord, I, 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 I'm not even going to touch this. I don't know how you're going to do it. I, honestly, at this point, I don't even care anymore. Uh, but this is yours here. I bring it over to you. And the, and the enemy of our souls is always going to come back and always going to try to bring the pressure back and always try to bring the remembrance back and always try to bring the awareness back. And what we just have to do is just, no, 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 no. No, I'm not taking this back. I've given this over to my father. He cares for me. He, he knows the concerns I have. He knows the things that pertain to my life. And here it is and we walk away and let him sustain you in that time of trouble. But we see something else. I, I came across the writings of a gentleman. I, I'm really not that familiar with him. He's a Bible teacher named Lehman Strauss. And I thought it was interesting what he had to say about this particular season of life when we find ourselves overwhelmed this way. He said this, trials have a way of digging, digging up the soil of our hearts and turning up weeds. That's good for us, for it is not in the sunshine, but in the storm that we discover the depth of our need. Great soldiers are not made in the barracks, nor on the parade ground, but on the battlefield where the going is tough. That's where we really find out not only what we're made of, but more importantly, who our God is and what he's capable of. Amen? Amen. 
You see, we're going to wrap this series up today by finding out that God, yes, has revealed himself as rescuer and as creator and as provider and as healer and as sustainer, but we're also going to find out that he's also revealed himself as our comforter. God's comfort is very unique. It's very personal. It's infinite, it's inexhaustible, it's immutable, it's indestructible. Our afflictions are merely temporary. God's comfort is everlasting. In this topic, when it comes to comfort, I think one of the greatest individuals that we can read after is the Apostle Paul. If there's anyone that had adversary and adversity and constant pressure and constant persecution and constant, if there's anybody that should have threw in the towel and walked away, it was the Apostle Paul. Yet he wrote to this church in Thessalonica, the second letter he wrote in chapter two, verse 16. Listen to what he wrote. May the Lord May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. The Thessalonians were suffering, they were one of the groups and churches that suffered persecution very early in the history of, of the church. And he's writing to them to encourage them. What do you think gave him the ability to do that? Well, I think we got a little hint here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, which he also wrote. In verse 3, I want you to listen closely and I want you to see the mechanics of the comfort of God. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us, us all in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Wow, that's a mouthful. What is it saying? God, our Father, is a Father, is a God of compassion. And when compassion rises up in God, He takes action. You remember, if you read the Gospels, it tells us that Jesus has moved the compassion. And every time Jesus has moved the compassion, either somebody's going to get raised from the dead, somebody's going to get healed, somebody's going to get fed, someone's needs are going to get provided for. In other words, when compassion rises up in the heart of God, action takes place. Are you listening? You following me? But now watch this now who comforts us all in our troubles, and I'm grateful for that. Thank you, Father, that you comfort us when I'm in trouble. But there's a purpose for it. In other words, the comfort just doesn't stop here. It doesn't just pool up in a reservoir and sits there to stagnate. There is a reason why he releases comfort in your life. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we also receive from God. I want to take you back to September, actually, yeah, September of 1990. September of 1990, after trying desperately to avoid bankruptcy, my wife and I had to file for bankruptcy, close our business, liquidate our assets, put our house up, just let it go into foreclosure. Business gone, business equipment gone. But I noticed something happened over the next year or two. See, before 1990, it would have been very difficult to sit down with someone who's going through financial problems because we're in the middle of it. But once God had rescued us through that 
and sustained us and provided for us and began to give us a fresh vision for the future, we started to realize that God was beginning to draw people around us that were in similar situations that we had been two years prior. And we noticed that when we would sit down with, with a couple or with a family, with an individual, because they knew of the situations that we had gone through, we noticed that God would give us wisdom and God would give us understanding and God would give us the words to speak to these individuals. And it wasn't until a few years later when I discovered that scripture, I realized, oh wow, this is what's going on here. You see, we had been comforted in the trouble that we were in. But that comfort wasn't allowed to stop there. So now, now, with the comfort that we've received, we now have the ability to comfort others. And so then, when some of you have had to, over the years, come and sit with us, because you've known our history, how God took us from absolutely nothing and brought us back again, and now in this ministry here, we now, with the comfort that God poured out in our lives, we now have the honor and the privilege and the ability to deal with that same situation in other people's lives. You see, I don't know about you, but I have this kind of, kind of funny philosophy. If I'm gonna go through hell, I wanna come through hell and pick up some gold on the way through it. I don't wanna go through hell for nothing. If I'm gonna go through hell, if my family's gonna go through hell, if my marriage is gonna get tested, if my, my soul, my ability to think straight is gonna go through that kind of pressure of being wiped out of everything, guess what? I wanna come up on the other side with a trophy. I want a medal, I want a ribbon, I want a certificate, I want something to show. I went through hell. Are you listening to me? And that's what that scripture is all about. When we go through things and we allow God to comfort us, he takes us up on the other side. It's like going through the Red Sea, coming up on the other side, and then we're able to say, hey, I've been there. I've seen God move. I've seen, we could tell you stories of miracle after miracle after miracle of provision that God has brought into our lives. So we could sit across the table with someone who's panicking, like maybe we panicked in 1989 and 1990, and we could sit there and go, we know what you're feeling. We're not making light of it. But listen, trust me, you're going to be okay. God knows the situation in your life. And if you'll trust him, he'll walk you through it. He'll comfort you and he'll take you through. Because we found out this other thing about God. The God of all comfort not, not only just says, oh, uh, you're going to be okay, but has action to back it up. You see, the comfort of God, I want, you to, I want us to end with this today, the comfort of God both prepares and repairs. I want you to hear that again. God's comfort prepares and repairs. John chapter 14, let me have those scriptures real quick because we're running out of time. Jesus at the Last Supper, he's sitting there, the disciples, James and John are fighting about who's gonna sit on which side of Jesus. Uh, Judas is trying to figure out how he's gonna con everybody. Peter, I don't know where Peter's at. Uh, you know, and, and so he, in the midst of all this chaos, and this looks like a reality show, Jesus is sitting there and he knows what he's gonna go through in the next 24 hours. They don't have a clue. He knows. They don't have a clue. But he's preparing them for the trauma that they're going to experience. And he brings them words of comfort. Listen to these words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. 
And there is more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to, if it were not so, what I have told you, that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And say, in other words, look, this is guaranteed. Don't worry about what's going to happen in the future. I'm, I'm here for you. Now, look, let's, next verse, next verse. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. Now, mind you, he knows what's happening. They don't. I'll guarantee you the disciples sat there and went, that's so nice. <laughs> I guarantee you they turn to each other. Doesn't he have nice words? <laughs> Makes me feel so secure. Peter, pass me the bread. <laughs> John, pass me the wine. They were clueless. But Jesus isn't. And what does he do? He prepares them for what's coming. August of 1990. I wake up from a dream, and in the dream, I hear God say to me, gird yourself up for when your financial situation is resolved, your health will come under attack. I wake up, I tell my wife what happened. This is August of 1990. Remember I told you, September of 1990, we locked the doors on the business and walk away and, and walk away from everything. A week later, I wake up in the middle of the night, and half of my body, my left side, is paralyzed. The pain, unbelievable. Those of you that belong to the Fellowship of Kidney Stone victims, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now watch this now. Although this is like painful, and although I'm wondering what in God's name is going on, what happened though? The very first thought that came to me was, it was just a month ago that the Lord said to me, gird yourself up. What does it mean, gird yourself up? What does a girdle do? It causes all your muscles to be pulled together for what? To gain some strength. The first thing that came, that popped up on the inside was, wow, this is what God was talking about just a month ago. I thought he's talking years from now. It was a month ago. So what happened? Yeah, I'm in pain, but I know, okay, this is no surprise to God. He knew about this. He's prepared me for this. So with my right hand, I reach over to get Barbara's attention, and she props me up, and we begin to pray. And pray in the name of Jesus. And after about 15, 20 minutes of praying, the pain just went shh, right out my leg. Now, I wish the story had ended there. <laughs> Two weeks later, on a Saturday morning, Barb had gone out early in the morning. I don't know where she had gone. Obviously shopping someplace very briefly though because she wasn't away that long. And it hits again. I'm home with four kids. Now under good circumstances, that's not a good scenario. <laughs> but when you got a kidney cell text, and now watch this now. We have this big dining room table, this old antique dining room table. We're in, you know, living in Seaside Park at that time and, and the big old uh, you know, beach house and all that stuff. And so I'm holding on to, with, with this hand, I'm holding on to the dining room table. With this hand, I'm clutching my side, and I'm praying in tongues. And let me tell you something. If you never received that gift, get a kidney stone attack, and you'll become Pentecostal <laughs> in about 10 seconds. <laughs> you listening to me? So, so I'm, and I'm holding on. I'm holding and I'm praying in tongues. And all of a sudden, I hear as clear as a bell on the inside, Psalm 103. 
And as I hear Psalm 103, I turn, and my son David, who at that point is only four years old, without me saying a word, had already, before I heard, had already got my Bible, came around to me, and without me saying a word, is standing there holding my Bible. At that second, Barbara walks through the door. She puts a bag down. I said to her, hurry up, open up the Bible to Psalm 103. I don't know what it says, but open up the Bible to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. We read it before. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who, read it with me, who heals all your diseases. When she said that, the pain literally again went, shoo, and went out my foot. And that was it. It was done. When I had gone to the doctor two weeks prior, when it, he, he said, this thing is the size of a piece of rice. You're not going to pass this. Ten years after that was the next time I had a kidney stone attack. Say, well, yeah, we say you weren't really healed. It just kind of like snuck in there. Hit honey, a size of the piece of rice. And besides the point, the next kidney stone I had was on the other side. God has just rescued me five or six different times. Never had to go for surgery, never had to go for treatment, never had to go get it blasted. Never. I'm not breaking, trust me, I'm, I, I proved the track record. I don't want to go through it again. But the point I brought this story to you was this. God prepared me back in 1990 and said to me, when your financial situation is resolved, gird yourself up for your health to come under attack. He's prepared the disciples in John chapter 14 because they're going to be traumatized by what they see over the next few hours. In a few hours after John 14 was recorded, that incident, in a few hours he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane. For the Garden of Gethsemane, they're going to watch him be arrested. They're going to watch him be brutalized. They're going to watch him be tortured. They're going to watch him be crucified. They're going to be subject, subject to all of these things that are going to traumatize them. How do we know? Because the pressure is so bad, it causes Peter to betray him. The pressure is so bad. The, the trauma is so bad, the rest of the disciples take off and book, and the only one that stays at the cross is John. Your God is a God of comfort. He will prepare you for the things that are coming. But there's also another side of him. The comfort of God not only prepares, but repairs. Luke chapter 7, Jesus it says, as he approached the town gate of the city of Nain, a dead person is being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she's a widow. I mean, can it get any worse? Her husband's gone. The only son she's got is dead. She's on her own. And a large crowd from the town was there. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Oh, oh so, so this is the God of comfort. Don't cry. That's enough? Don't cry? Is that, is, that all, is that all he's got for us? Yeah. Will he speak to us? Will he calm us? Yes. Will he bring peace to us? Yes. But she needs repair. Next verse. Then he went up and touched the beer. In other words, the, the thing that they put the dead body in. They were carrying him on. And the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave it back to his mother. What did the comfort of God do? Just tell her, listen, don't cry. Everything's going to be all right. You're going to be okay. We'll give you a loaf of bread every once in a while. 
We'll send you our leftovers. We'll give you our torn clothing that we don't need anymore. What did he do? He repaired the situation and presented the son back to this mother so that she would not have to be concerned about who's going to protect her, who's going to supply her needs, who's going to carry on her husband's name. Your God is a God of comfort. He's not a God that just pats you. He's not a God that just pets you. He's not a God that just quiets you. But he is a God who will prepare you and repair whatever's been broken and whatever's missing. He has promised us his peace. Remember, the biblical definition of peace is not the absence of violence. It is completeness, shalom, everything together that we need. Amen? Amen. Please leave this teaching today understanding of who this God is, how personally involved he wants to be in your life, how he has set things up in your life to actually bring you to this place of being here this morning so that you can be exposed to these scriptures. Don't be anxious. Don't let stress overwhelm you and overtake you. Take your problems, cast them over on him, and he'll sustain you. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.